I really, really enjoyed being a youth minister, uh, more than most, uh, because I, I was half the time wondering how in the world I was getting paid to do it. I just loved reaching out to kids. I loved spending time with kids, and I loved doing mission trips with kids because I knew on mission trips, short-term mission trips, which I'm a huge fan of, and as our church grows, and, and as we'll talk about even today in our congregational meeting, uh, you know, our aggressive plan is to do a lot of support of missions and church plants around the world, which means that we're hoping to get to do genuine partnership with missionaries around the world, which means we would send teams to help them with various things, not just take short-term uh, mission trips to random places on the planet. Uh, one summer, the summer of 2002, we had planned to go to Uganda. We were going to take a group of students over there because the church I was working for had been partnering with a ministry there. And as we were getting ready to plan this, the previous fall, something tragic happened. And that was September 11, 2001. Now, when you're taking a group of high school students to another country, parents get concerned all of a sudden when terrorists attack the World Trade Center towers and you have this advent of a new age of terror, global terrorism reaching into our country, parents said, we would like you to rethink going to Central Africa. And so we had to kind of reconfigure what we were going to do the following summer. This is what happens when terrorism hits our world. It affects us negatively. It disrupts our lives. In the absence of global peace, people actually become reluctant to travel. They become reluctant to travel the world. We had a youth ministry conference that same fall, and it was in Tampa, and people weren't flying. It was a really amazing thing that people were just, a, just terrified. They were absolutely affected by those things. This is what happens when you don't have a sense of safety and security. In the same way, the absence of personal peace will often cause us to withdraw from taking needed steps of faith in life. I don't know uh, what you're anxious about, and I have my own set of anxieties, but I can assure you that in the long run, the reason we've been commanded in Philippians 4, 6, among other places, to not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, to offer our requests to God so that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, is because Jesus wants you to rest in him so that you can do the things that he's called you to do in this life. During Advent, we celebrate the truth that God's peace rests on those whom he shows favor to. One's peace is rooted in knowing God's greatness, his goodness, and one's status as the Lord's beloved child. So my question almost always to myself is, why don't I experience this peace more frequently. I have to really dig down deep and ask myself questions like, what do I really want with peace? This potentially is a question we all could ask. What do we want with peace? I, I know I want peace in my heart so I won't be anxious about life. I want peace in my world so I won't feel, uh, so I will feel safety in my surroundings. I want peace in my soul so I won't be afraid of God's judgment. These are the things that I would want, that many of us want from peace. We want peace to know that the life, the surroundings, the relationship we have with the eternal creator, that these things are nothing to be afraid of. So when does peace normally come to us? 
Well, for most of us, the experience of personal peace comes when we know that our needs will be provided for, that our lives will be protected, that our souls ultimately will be promoted. Now, here's the rub. Most of us, when we desire these things, a sense of being safe, a sense of things uh, being in control, we begin to manifest our own efforts to make those things happen. We try to achieve peace this way. We try to take control of people and circumstances so we can avoid pain. We potentially attack others aggressively or maybe withdraw from others passively to avoid what we perceive to be as danger in relationships. Uh, On a religious experience note, what often happens when people are saying, I would like to find peace with God, what they will often do is adopt a system of religion, a, a spirituality that will emphasize their strengths and de-emphasize their weaknesses. And I don't know what that would look like, but what it, what it feels like is being particularly self-righteous about that one good thing you're good at uh, to, you know, to the lack of recognition of the areas where you are weak. And this is because a person in that mindset is actually trying to make themselves feel at peace with God based on what they do. So naturally speaking, they're going to go, I'm really good at these things. I don't really want to talk about these things right here. This is whatever that looks like. However, you have to cover up the stuff that you're not good at, the things that are weaknesses and failures of yours. A religious system that does that will meet temporarily a need of you, yours or mine, to try to achieve peace on our own. Today's Advent theme and passage remind us that God's peace is something he longs to depart, and it's something he departs to the humble by his grace alone, not because of anything we do. It simply requires our willingness to acknowledge our need for him. So let's take a look at how that peace is brought about according to our passage today. And this is the first of two brief thoughts for you this morning. And you'll, after the sermon, go, why can't we have an abbreviated worship service every week? The sermon is much shorter those weeks. I love it. The first thought is this. Peace reigns when God is present and proclaiming. Peace reigns when God is present and proclaiming. Let's read again this, what is a Christmas narrative about the experience of the shepherds. In Luke 2, verses 8 through 12, and in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. You see, one of the things that is particularly common when the Lord speaks to people is his desire for them to fear not. Jesus, on multiple occasions in the Gospels, is one of the first words out of his mouth subsequent to his resurrection is, don't be afraid. And you can understand how these shepherds feel. Uh, being a shepherd in the black of night in the middle of the desert um, is not necessarily... Uh, an easy job. It would be a stress-filled job because what comes at night are the potentials for wolves attacking, 
uh, for bears. If you have bears in our neighborhood, we have bears, and uh, it's a frightening thing to walk around at night. One night on the back porch of my house, I was sitting out just working on my computer, and I had all the lights off in the back of our house because I thought that would be really fun. You know, like, just sort of kind of like, you know, hey, I'm out here in the beautiful night, and I hear this noise over to my right, and I assumed it was my dog, and then I realized my dog was not there, and I turned the light on, and there's a bear like five feet from me. <laughs> I kid you not, I almost had a heart attack. So, this is a true story. If you want to come up to our house in Duarte, you'll see them for yourselves. Uh, we've got pictures of bears up on our back window. We've got pictures, I mean, I have this ongoing battle with a bear. That's why I have locks on my trash can. It's, it's a bear-filled world. So what happens to a shepherd in the middle of the night is it's an unsafe environment. So they're already sort of walking on eggshells, right? Because it's like you could have robbers, you could have thieves, you know? And then all of a sudden, this aberration, this, this vision of an angel shows up in the middle of the night you can understand that that would be like freaking you out a bit. And so into that circumstance, the angel says, hey, do not fear. Do not fear. I bring you good news of great joy. Now, practically speaking, our fears sometimes are justified and sometimes they are imagined. Sometimes they're real fears. Sometimes they're just sort of fake fears. One fake fear we have all the time here at the church well, we don't any longer because I told JT he could no longer place his, his Aikido dummy behind the church by the shed. See, JT has made for his Aikido training they, this tire, the tire tree that looks like a man. And, and, and they kick it and make good use of it. And then they were storing it right, behind the sh- right next to the shed around the corner from our office. And we would go out at night to walk to the back door of the chapel and every time we walked around this corner, we would freak out because it was like we thought it was a person. And it's not uncommon for us to have people, indigent population, just wandering around the property. It would totally freak us out. Well, it wasn't real. It was imagined. But one thing is certain, whether it's real or imagined, our fears are always real when we're feeling them. What settles our fear in life is, is what settled the shepherd's fears. God made his presence known and spoke to reassure them. Make no mistake about it. Only God's presence and authoritative proclamation that everything is okay are going to bring peace to you and I in life's storms. This was the experience of Jesus' disciples as well. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, Jesus was in the boat. You may be familiar with the story, but let me read it for you. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him into this boat, and then there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep, and they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, and men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? You see, Whatever the life storm is for you and I, the key to it is realizing that Jesus, who is this man? He's God incarnate. This is the celebration of Christmas, that God came as a human being so we could see tangibly what he is like. We could see in form of man, we could see with our own eyes, people could testify to the attributes and the character of grace and kindness and strength and truth. 
And in this particular occasion, they came to realize, oh, that's right. He's, he's God in the flesh, and he just said, quiet, and the waves died down. That's pretty great. And that's what we need if we're going to hear and experience peace in our lives. It's going to require that you and I hear and know, hear God and know that he is with us. This week we suffered our own terrorist attack here in Southern California. It prompts me to ask the question what our response should be. And I'll tell you that I think it's the same as we've just said. It's to know that God is present, that he's promised that everything in creation will obey him. Now, why he allows evil to have his day, we don't know until eternity. But it isn't because God's out of control. What he's made clear to us through the birth of Jesus is that he enters into human history at his will to bring about his purpose. And he would like us, even amidst our fears and even amidst our struggles and even amidst things that might terrify us, to know his peace and his rest. But that peace reigns when God is present and he's proclaiming. Practically speaking, for some of us, that means we are going to have to practice his presence. And many of us are going to have to get into the habit of studying more regularly what he has proclaimed in his word. The promises of God. The promises to bring peace. The scriptures that assure us that he will keep in perfect peace. You whose mind is steadfast because you trust in him, Isaiah 26.3. Have you memorized his promises? Because, see, that's one of the gateways, if you will, one of the means of grace to know his peace and to appropriate a sense of his presence in your life because the word testifies that you and I have his presence in us if we are believers. His peace reigns when he's present and proclaiming. And here's our second thought today. His peace results when God is pleased and praised. Let's continue in our passage from Luke 2. We'll begin with verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. As we said, when you have peace, you have the capacity then to go and do the things that you believe God's calling you to do, and hence the shepherds were very quick and ready to go. We know personal peace will come to us when we praise God for the things that he has done and for who he is. Practically, another means of grace, another way to experience joy is when we obey the Scriptures and purposefully recount all of the good things that God has done and is doing, and more importantly, when we recount who He is. He has done all these things, and we can recount the ways He's revealed His glory to us. Peace enough peace to take action in an area of life where you might be terrified, that will come when you and I discipline ourselves to say, what has God done to, to provide for me? What has he done to show himself to me? Recalling those things are important. We know personal 
peace when God's favor rests on us, the Scriptures say, with whom He's pleased. So a question I have to ask, maybe you do too, is how do I get to that, that wonderful position where I know He's pleased with me? This personal peace will lead us to take action. It leads us to obey the one who's revealed himself to us. We will love others, serve others, and follow Jesus in all the way he's told us to in his word when we know that we are his most favored. When somebody whom you admire greatly is kind and generous to you, it only furthers the depth of your devotion to them. I've been married 25 years. My poor wife is sick today. She's been sick for a couple of days. But she still doesn't understand that when she is affirming to me and says just the, most, the smallest things, like, you know, wow, your message was great today, that that means far more to me than anybody else in the world. 25 years later, it still brings the joy to my heart because I have such admiration for her. Because I esteem her so highly that when she speaks highly of me, it means a lot to me. I would say in the same way, one of the things that is keeping you and I from radical obedience is not just a, a need to kind of beat ourselves up, but our, our lack of understanding of just how affectionate the Lord is towards you. Just his disposition of kindness towards you. What should motivate you and I is a greater comprehension of this, and that's why we talk about grace so much. Not because we don't want you to radically obey the Lord, and you have to know his word to know what he wants you to do, but it's because what really moves people to action is understanding that they are, because of Christ, the most favored of God. In Leviticus 7, 11 through 21, it's really interesting that what... We see the angels and the shepherds doing is, is akin to what was known as a peace offering. Now, a peace offering in Leviticus was initially something people did as a spontaneous method of thanking the Lord. It's come to mean something very different. You know, we have this vision in our heads of tribes meeting and offering peace offerings to each other to stop war altogether. But in the Old Testament, it was another opportunity for people to say, I have taken stock of all that God has done for me, and I want to give thanks. And in that, they experience a joy and a peace. In 2013, British historian Peter Padfield discovered evidence, he claimed, proved that the deputy Fuhrer of Germany, Rudolf Hess, offered a peace offering, in our understanding of it, to the British to end World War II in Europe. You know, World War II is a great thing to study in our era where we feel afraid because what motivated the Japanese and the Germans was almost a religious fervor. For the Japanese, it was a worship of the emperor. For the Nazis, it was a strange, strange compulsion to follow a fascist dictator. There was something evil and spiritual, and it wasn't called ISIS then, it was called the Axis. And and so I think studying history will help us to understand some really important things about the conditions of our world. Well, Padfield's book claimed that, effectively, Hitler's lieutenant acting on his own proposed this to Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England. He said, we will withdraw from Western Europe. This is our peace offering to you. We will withdraw from Western Europe if you will let us invade Russia. So, wow. 
thank you. In other words, we can have peace as long as we turn our backs on other people and let you destroy them. Well, obviously, Churchill had some courage and told him no. Churchill was trying to get the United States to join in this effort, and he also understood that that was no peace offering at all. That was a lie. It was only a matter of time before this same fascist was going to come and want to take another turf that wasn't his. See, peace offerings have to actually be substantive enough to make you and I know that we are going to be able to rest, that our lives are going to be safe, that we are going to know security, that God will provide for us. Churchill was smart enough to know that that peace offering was, well, ineffective. The angel says to the shepherds and to us that peace is the gift God gives to those on whom his favor rests. That favor is available to you with a simple act of trust and reliance upon Jesus. This doesn't mean you simply believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, God in the flesh, as we celebrate Emmanuel at Christmas time, but that you will, by the will of God, be adopted into his family, understand that he's made you an heir, understand that he adores you, his daughter or his son, and that that will produce in you, by his grace, a desire to venture out, to follow him, to go see what the Lord has told you and made known to you. Your sins are forgiven because Christ took them unto himself. Your future was secured by the righteousness of Jesus that gets credited to all who by faith receive the Spirit of God into their hearts and begin a genuine relationship with God. So you might ask, how do I know for sure if I am a child of God? We are all part of God's creation, and he loves all of his creation. But being one of God's children requires that you are adopted into the family of God. You become a joint heir. We all, by human nature, are estranged from God. The scriptures actually say we are enemies of God by nature. But God is offering a peace offering. In fact, this is what we do each week at communion. This is really Jesus' peace offering. I want reconciliation with you. I'm going to offer myself. I'm going to offer myself. This is my body given for you. This is my blood given for you. This is my peace offering. And all we have to do is offer ourselves. We just come to him humbly and say, without this offering, I have no hope at all. Peace is a surrender on our case. It's a surrender not just to Jesus in terms of our relationship with him and how we can have peace with him, but all of life is saying, I'm going to surrender to his sense of what's best for me. I can tell you on a personal level, this is the only way I achieve peace is to stop, stop thinking to myself, I know what I want, and I'm going to focus on that, and I'm going to obsess over that, and I'm going to want it and want it and want it, and then when I don't get it, I'm going to throw a temper tantrum and complain. The only way I know peace is to go, Lord, you know what is best for me. I'm your adopted child and a co-heir with Jesus and all my other brothers and sisters and you. What you want for my life is best for me. 
Your word testifies to that reality. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The only means to personal peace is for you and I to surrender our will and know that the benevolent, loving God of the universe wants to care for you. This is the peace of Advent. Let us pray. Father, we would hope and pray today that personal peace that we could experience would not just be using you to get what we need, but instead a byproduct of genuine fellowship with you. And I have friends here today who have yet to yield, to to surrender their own sense of how they're going to be acceptable to you or at peace with you. They've not yet deferred to the already accomplished payment of Jesus. They've been trying on their own to achieve a peace that hasn't come because it can't come because an honest assessment of our character always yields uh, a notice of default that we just do not have the holiness to justify being in your presence. But you've given us in Christ not only a means to be forgiven but his righteousness to credit to us that we would be at peace with you once for all. And so today, my friends may want to surrender their hearts once and for all to you. Friend, as everybody continues to pray, I I, I just want to offer to you something that we rarely do here at PRISM, but it's an opportunity for you to respond. If you have faith today to put your trust in Christ, if you've been wandering around the fringes of a, a church or the church, And today you say, I really want to follow Jesus. Uh, I want to give you a chance quietly in your heart to do that. If if in your heart today you know you've never trusted Christ, you've never laid down your own efforts to make yourself feel like you're okay with God, and today you want to just find peace by surrendering and saying, I'm going to depend on what Jesus did for me. You can do that. A simple prayer. Jesus, come into my life. I believe that you are the Son of God. And today, as well, you may be here, and it's been a long time since you've actually engaged the Spirit that lives in you and perhaps has lived in you for a very long time. And you might think he's been mad at you for your distance, and in reality what he's longing for is to reconnect with you. And he's offered this peace offering. If you think you're unreconciled to your brother Jesus, to your father. Then today, as always, he's saying, come to the table and ask for forgiveness and all is made well. You are his child. He loves you. Father, would you bless those who are receiving you and those who are coming back to you and those of us who are continuously coming back to you and saying that we have so easily forgotten what you've done. May we remember all the ways you've blessed us so that we can praise you. And this table be the means of us remembering what you've done. We pray in Jesus' name. Won't you stand with me? We're going to sing two more songs. The table is open. By coming, you're saying, Jesus, I accept your peace offering. Won't you come today and enjoy
the grace and love of your Savior.